over the last two years of the COVID crisis, um, we've been addressed by our leaders on many occasions to the point of uh, getting tired of it. We've been informed and instructed and sometimes even scolded. From my perspective, as a follower of Jesus, I'm disappointed that we have not been encouraged to uh, repent and seek the face of God. Of course, any leader that calls for that outside of church is uh, subject to a lot of uh, comment and negativism and maybe attacked by a skeptical media and a mocking nation. In our arrogance, we think that mankind has all the answers to everything. We can solve it. We don't need God. We are good. Next week, by simulcast on the screen, somehow Larry and Jordan are going to make it possible for us to hear a speaker named Brett Siebold. He will be with us part of the week in, in Rochester part of the week. But next Sunday morning, the message will originate from the Anchor Church in Rochester. And he will share with us just the, the short sermon. His mission is not to a country like one of the flags represented here or a language group. He is a type of missionary to people who are skeptical of the God of the Bible. He leads a group that attempts to defend faith in God to the world of skeptics. It's pretty cool stuff. He writes on one of his pages... These words, most universities and media outlets and entertainment venues have been inundated with the notion that the Bible can't be trusted. So we can forge our own versions of reality. And then he concludes, there is an ever-increasing skepticism of Christian culture. End of quote. You've probably felt some of that. Belittled, considered uneducated, Because you have faith in an invisible God. I love coming to church and seeing you because we have people in our church family from all different kinds of background, all different uh, educations and occupations, really smart people. And I'm humbled to be in your presence And I sometimes, when my faith gets a little shaky or I have a question about something, I kind of lean on you guys and say, man, these guys are way smarter than me and they believe in the invisible God. I should too. You know, that that kind of thing. Does your faith in Christ stand up in the court of academics? Uh, This is what Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin says. She said, let's reclaim the university because Christianity is not anti-intellectual, but it is the greatest intellectual movement in all of history. We don't have anything to be afraid of at all. I mean, what man, what woman could write such a comprehensive text as the Law of Moses? I know you probably haven't been in the Law of Moses recently, but if you're going to read through the Bible program, you're going to get there, and it's like, man, there's rules for everything. Who could write all these things? It's It's amazing. 
Or what person among us could write the three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount? Could William Shakespeare do that? Who could write those amazing truths? Where did that come from? Well, as recorded in the book of Acts, the good news of Christ spread like wildfire across all genres. Uh, The convicting power of the Holy Spirit and the rock-solid evidence convinced many people, first, from the Jewish background, to come to Christ, as demonstrated in Acts chapter 2 through 9. Next we see, in Acts chapter 10, the first convert from the Gentile world come to Christ. What convinced him? Cornelius. And then we, we see people coming to Christ from pagan backgrounds in countries like Cyprus and cities like Philippi. What convinced them? Then the next obstacle. What would happen when the message of the resurrected Jesus went up against highly educated pagan philosophers? Would the gospel wilt under pressure from those skeptics? And so a battle for the mind took place on a hill called Mars in Athens, Greece. It's recorded in Acts chapter 17. Let me read for you the first part of this to give you the setting. If you're following along in your own Bible or on your phone, it's Acts 17, verse 16 through 21. I would encourage you to open it up and follow along with me. And may the Holy Spirit give you more teaching and insight than I than I possibly could. I know He will. We pray that prayer. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. We would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. We have designated this January as our Missions Emphasis Month. We're leading towards a... Uh, the end when we fill out our faith promise forms more about that later uh, it, our faith promise rally all of that was kind of postponed last year due to COVID but our giving and our budget remain the same throughout uh, the year without much emphasis placed on it which is a tribute to your radical generosity we're so grateful that we were con- able to continue our commitments to our mission partners because of your generosity. And the flags around the room today represent some of the countries where the Clarence Church of Christ has sent either money or people over the years. And there's more flags that we didn't put up with that same theme. We do not have a flag representing Mars Hill. I'm not sure what 
a flag for Mars Hill would look like. Maybe a flag from one of our prestigious Ivy League schools. Something like that. A place where the academic uh, elites look down their noses at people like you who praise the invisible God like you did just a few minutes ago in song. Mars Hill is not a location like in Athens, Greece anymore, but it's a mindset, it's an attitude, and it's all around us, and it's fine. But the skeptic needs the Lord just as much as people in Uzbekistan do, right? Everybody needs Jesus. Alexander Sojanitin spent 50 years studying the history of Russia and the mess made in Russia caused by the revolution and communism. And he wrote these words in an introduction to a new book I'm just reading by Eric McTexas. He says this, If I were asked to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people, I could put it, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Men have forgotten God. They've walked away. And time has shown what has become of nations that enforce atheism and forget God. They, they deny human rights. And they exhibit the most ruthless treatment towards their own citizens. Athens was a city that had forgotten God or gotten confused about God. Most church planners would avoid a city like that. Uh, What are the chances of planting a church in a city like that? And so we look at the opposition, but a kingdom worker looks at the opportunity, right? What a great opportunity for the gospel. So Paul started in his usual spot as the scripture records. He went first to the synagogue and then to the marketplace. He went where the people were and he started conversations. He preached the good news about Jesus and this led to more opportunities. <clears throat> uh, yesterday we started upward basketball. Uh, in the church and lots of little kids and their mommies and daddies came to the building and we start every upward basketball game with a word of prayer and it's a simple and short prayer a lot of little people gathered around and uh, we just start with a prayer of thanks and I know I know how it goes this is tolerated by some people who say oh isn't that cute the little children are praying and it is Ignored by some others saying, what a waste of time. I get that. But almost every time we start the game with a word of prayer, at the end of the game, somebody comes up to talk to us about what kind of church is this? What kind of, what kind of church does this? And, uh, this is really cool, and thank you for doing this, and can you tell us a little bit more? It's just opportunity. What an opportunity. Well, Paul did that, and it led to him being brought before an academic board, if you will. Think of it as a hearing before a group of judges. Owen Couch in his commentary on Acts says, Paul was examined to see whether he should be allowed as a licensed lecturer on Mars Hill. 
we going to let this guy into our club or not? You know, what, what, what are his credentials? What's he talking about? It was a tough crowd. But as always, the Holy Spirit gives you the right word at the right time in the right place to the right people. He does that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit made Paul strong and courageous and sharp. What would you have said had you been Paul? What are your opening remarks before a council of professors? Who are you? What are you doing here? What what are you teaching? What are you going to say? Well, verse 22, if you're still following along, that's where we are now. Verse 22. <clears throat> Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship... I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. (laughs) What a clever start. The Holy Spirit giving the exact words that need to be said. They were very curious, they were very religious, very smart, yet very confused. Here's a shrine to an unknown God. It's kind of like, in case we forgot one, we want to cover all of our bases here. We don't want to offend anyone. But at the same time, it's it's a humble recognition of their own ignorance. You very seldom hear a leader say, I don't know. You put a microphone to somebody, they, they're going to say something, but they hardly ever say, I don't know. Hey, it may not be true what I'm telling you, but I'm going to tell you something other than I don't know. Because I don't know sounds like I'm, uh, you know, uneducated. I don't want to look like that. How refreshing for someone to say, I don't know. It's just, please do that. Well, they don't know. That's... Uh, The term is agnostic. It's a person who isn't sure about God. It doesn't mean they're an enemy. They they haven't come to a decision yet. Maybe they're firm in that, but a lot of times they're just, I haven't made up my mind yet. Kind of a safe place to be in the middle there. But I don't know is what they're saying. Paul is saying God can be known. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son has made Him known. You can know Him. There's a lot of scriptures about that. God has taken off the camouflage. You can know Him. Notice how Paul earned the right to be heard here. He built a bridge, kind of like uh, basketball builds a bridge or playing a game of golf with your friends builds a bridge or you know being part of a club that builds a bridge or building bridges to people he showed an interest in their city he walked around their city he got familiar with it he gave them a compliment man you're very religious you know he's he's reaching out of course paul wasn't a fan of idols but the people at least had faith in something 
And that was his starting point. Let's just start there. You, you have faith in something. You, um, there was a God they didn't know. And that's what I want to talk to you about. How cool is that? So Paul, Paul roused their curiosity. He knew something they didn't know. And you know how that is. When somebody whispers to somebody else, you wonder, what, what are they whispering about? They got a secret. What is that about? And that's what Paul did. He roused their curiosity. I know something you don't know. Nah, 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 nah. Here's your project, you guys. This is your assignment. I know you don't, I'm not going to give you time to complete it, but here's your deal. I did the word count on the next section of scripture, which starts in verse 24. 160 words. You have a 160 word limit to make a statement about God to a room full of skeptics. 160 words. You're on. Right now. Go for it. In a spot like that, as you're walking to the platform, you say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. (laughs) Give me the words to say. Give me the words to say. And so... I have this book with me. This is my go-to book uh, for uh, doctrine. You know, it's 587 pages. It's called The Faith Once for All, written by a professor that Deb and I took in college. A smart guy. He kind of summarizes a lot of the teachings of the Scripture. He's an academic, but he lists a lot of Scripture. This is where I go. To, to get started if I'm bogged down in something. Just give me a head start here. 587 pages. Paul, in 160 words, gives profound teaching about this invisible God. Let's read them together. Verse 24. 160 words. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything. Rather, He Himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And some of your own, I'm sorry, as some of your own poets have said, we, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In my mind, I consider this the Gettysburg Address of the person and work of God. You know, the Gettysburg Address, uh, brief, informative, insightful, inspirational, Let's just work our way through this simple outline. Verse 22, God is the creator. Paul sidesteps all other issues. He's in a hurry. He's got 160 words. Let's do this. God. He doesn't attempt to prove that God exists. 
they they already have a belief system. They already have altars and idols around, so they have this mentality. He wants to show them the capital G God, not the small G God, the capital G God. What makes this one God stand out above all others? Well, He created all others. He is not just the God of the sun or the God of the sea. Nope, He made the world and everything in it. Scholars call this the fine-tuned planet idea. The incredible design and points to an incredible designer. And somebody will say, huh, what has this God ever done for me? How about the next breath you just took? Verse 25. He gives life and breath to everything and He satisfies every need. That's the New Living Translation. Any questions about who's in charge here? God is the Creator. Second idea. God is way bigger than you think. He cannot be contained with human hands. He is unrivaled in power and intelligence. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. That means He's the owner and the operator, the inventor and the maintenance man. One of my favorite things is going down to Mountain View Christian Camp and stargazing, just uh, going out on those early weeks of August and laying on your back on the grass and looking up. It's better done when you're by yourself. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows forth His handiwork. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they give knowledge. Woo! Amazing stuff. That's our God. Our God is greater. Our God is higher. That's what we just sang. He doesn't live in ornate buildings. Oh, He could live in an ornate building, but He's way bigger than that. It's like trying to put a wild tiger in a cardboard box. That's what you're trying to do here. You think He can be contained? Forget about it. He's all-powerful and all-independent. Metaxas in his book, Is Atheism Dead?, writes this line. He said, There are certain things about our universe that are so perfectly calibrated that they can hardly be coincidental. And as more time passes, more and more discoveries are made to prove that. Uh, Let me just give you one example here, if I may. This basketball represents the sun. This little bouncy ball represents the moon. Okay? Uh, In size, the moon is like this compared to the sun. But because of uh, the distance of the sun, both of these heavenly bodies look the same to us. And uh, you know what happens when a ping pong ball or a super ball blocks our view of the sun like this. Huh. I can't see all the sun. I can only see its outline. We call that an eclipse, right? And uh, it's an amazing phenomena, predictable. Not by me, don't ask me to predict it, but astronomers can predict it, Right? Here's an example of that. In 1504, Christopher Columbus and his crew were stranded on the island of what is now called Jamaica. And the natives were uh, feeding them, supporting them. And 
After about six months, they wore out their welcome. No more of this. We're tired of of helping you guys. And Columbus knew that he was in trouble. So he happened to have an almanac on board his disabled ship. So he read that there was going to be a lunar eclipse that would soon take place. Now you can question his conduct. I understand. But... Knowing this was going to happen, Columbus warned the natives that if they stopped sharing their food, the moon was going to show its great anger at them. Of course, it happened just like Columbus predicted. And the crew got their food and lived to tell the story. It's amazing, you guys. Sometimes sometimes the moon comes between the sun and the earth. And if I'm the earth, sometimes the earth comes between the sun and the moon. An incredible design and designer. He is uh, he is deeply involved in our creation. That's, that's the next part of this. Uh, he's deeply involved in his, in his creation. Uh, God is not silent. He is... Not some stone idol standing in some corner unresponsive. No, He is living. Our God is living. He is interested in everything we do. It's present tense when you read through the text again and see how the words are used. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Not He was or He's going to be. He is right now. He's in charge. He made the nations. Can you imagine this? concept that Paul put out there. He made the nations and directed us where we should live. Though He's not far from each of us, from one man He created diversity. You'd think that diversity was just invented in the last ten years. Man, you know what? We we appreciate diversity. Man, this is God's invention from a long time ago. And language and boundaries for nations. Our family tree leads back to one man. His fingerprints are all over this creation. I just finished reading a book about the Old West. And uh, I read this story I wanted to share with you. On July 12, 1864, a small wagon train was heading west. They were west of Laramie, Wyoming when they were attacked by Indians and almost everybody was killed but a young married woman, 19 years old, named Fanny Kelly was taken alive. She was valuable. She was traded from one tribe to another and after 11 months of negotiations she was supposed to be traded back to uh, U.S. soldiers. But she was moved from one place to another place through the wilderness uh, trying to keep them away from the Calvary, the U.S. Calvary. Along the way to the trading place where she was supposed to be exchanged, she noticed on top of some of these high ridges, there were, there were seashells. Seashells on top of these ridges. And the Pacific Ocean was at least a thousand miles on west. And she knew something about that. She asked her captives, How did seashells happen to come to this altitude in this place so far from the great sea? How did that happen? And she was told by her host captives, once a great sea rolled over the face of this country, only one man escaped. 
he sailed around with his family until the flood receded. Then he became the father of all the Indians. Does any part of that story sound familiar to you? How in the world did Native Americans without the Bible come to this understanding? God left traces so clear long ago that even the Native Americans got word of Him and understood something about Him. Here's the fourth point. God doesn't need you. Surprise! God doesn't need you. You need Him. What is the role of God in your heart and your lungs? Well, uh, you need Him for your next breath. Other than that, you're fine, right? You're good without Him if you can... Anyway. You need Him for everything. He, he is the giver of everything. He's not the taker. He's the giver. I am amazed when I hear people say, Why did God take Him away from me? Why did God do that? God's the giver. Quite often when someone passes away, I hear people saying this because they don't know what else to say, they say this. I guess God needed another angel. You don't know what to say. I get it. Your mourning is hard. Okay, here's the truth. God does not need another angel. God does not need anything. God does not need you. God does not need your offering. He doesn't need anything. He exists on His own. He's independent. He's self-supporting. He's good. And so Paul is demolishing their thinking. God doesn't live in man-made temples. He's not served by human hands. He's invisible, yet we see His work everywhere. He is all-powerful, yet He wants a relationship with us. What kind of God is this? This is the reality. God made you and sustains you, and you need Him in your life. And so the debate about philosophy on Mars Hill turns into an urgent plea for people to repent of their sins and turn to this living God. Verse 27, He's hoping that you will seek Him and reach out to Him. In fact, that's why I came to town. I wanted to tell you about Him because He loves you so much. He wants you in His family. Greek literature uh, was quoted by Paul. Greek literature carried a lot of weight in those days with those philosophers. So Paul, in his wisdom, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to call to mind one of the quotes of one of their prophets. And he said, one of your own prophets says, we are his offspring. Hmm. How did he get that knowledge? We are his offspring cuts the ground from anyone who who rejects this unknown God because in reality, you're his offspring. You're connected to him already. You just didn't know it. When I was a student minister, I came to realize that a lot of our kids had never been to Niagara Falls. You like that? You know, you live 30 miles from one of the great wonders of the world and maybe you've never been there. I came to realize that. I said, this is kind of amazing. Um, we should probably plan a trip a day, take a day every summer to go up there in good weather and just show the kids Niagara Falls. It's easy, it's close by, it's a day trip, it's fun. Pack a lunch, bring ten bucks, we'll go on the Maid of the Mist, or we'll go under the Cave of the Winds, we'll do something, it'll be fun. And it was a riot. It was an absolute riot. And 
it was uh, the, it was the kids never knew what they were missing, right? They just didn't know. And this is each person who lives in this vast creation and does not know the Creator. It's a cry and shame. For in Him we live and move and have our being. God is the source of your ability to reason. You have feelings. Those came from God. You can invent something, create something. You can write a song. You can sing. That came from God. It flows down from the Creator God directly to you. You are His offspring. You're like your dad. You're like Him in His image. So here's the last point. We'll close. We're accountable to God. He's done all this stuff for us. We're accountable back to Him. In verse 30, I'm, if you're still following along, I'm now in verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising Him from the dead. There's more to this message. I'll have to close now. But you see three huge themes woven into those last couple verses. One of them is repentance. One of them is judgment. One of them is resurrection. Wow! In two verses, he jams those concepts in. I'm here to tell you that your faith in the invisible God is rock solid. You have nothing to fear from skeptics or those who might mock your faith. Bring it on. Rather, in all compassion, they have something to fear. It's called Judgment Day. And it will be a terrible day for those who have not repented and turned to Him. What to do? This might be you, Joy. I can invite the worship team up as I conclude. What to do about this? Paul puts it out there for us. Humble yourself. Admit that you thought you were all that. Admit that you lived right close to Niagara Falls and you've never been there. Admit that you live in this vast creation and you've never acknowledged the Creator. And, and repent. Oh man, I blew it. I thought it was all me, all about me. All this time I thought it was about me. No, in Him I live and move and have my being. And then reach out to Him. We would encourage you to think about these things today. Consider the claims of Christ. Do it with an open mind and see where it leads you. If you'd like to make a decision for Christ, we'd love to welcome you today. If you need to pray about something, we'd love to pray with you. I invite you to stand now. And if you have a decision to make or a prayer request, come on down and we'll meet you in the front.